0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with Sacred Scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Kraus. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? Happy second week of Advent to you, which means this Sunday is that glorious pink candle that we all wait for during Advent. No, I'm just kidding. we wait for Christmas, but the pink candle is cool. Uh, it reminds us that this is a season of joyful waiting. Right, We should be joyful in our waiting for the second coming of Christ and joyful in our anticipation of the celebration of His incarnation at Christmas. Uh, So what is up? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. I'm your host, Chase Krause. Uh, And so we are in the midst of our Galatians Bible study. We're about to dive into Galatians 5. But as always on Catholics with Bibles, we'll start with our Greek word of the day. And our Greek word of the day today is a word called not called, it is the Greek word, elpida, elpida. And it's the word for hope. But we have to understand it in the light of the gospel. So hope for Paul isn't merely a desire for something to happen. It is that, but it's more than that. We'll talk about this in a little bit. Elpida, this hope, and particularly in this in this passage in, in verse five here, it says hope of righteousness. So it's a hope that motivates you. It's a hope that drives you. It's a hope of righteousness. It's a righteous hope. It's a hope that is based on the ultimate good and you, your attainment of the ultimate good, namely Jesus Christ in heaven. So we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So in Galatians five, we uh, hit our transition and it's beginning of the end for uh, Galatians, so we have a couple chapters left, five and six, and and this is the point where St. Paul is going to start applying all of the theology into some ethical truths for the Galatian community. And so there's some scholars who say that this is such a different tone and different context that they think that like somebody came in, like redacted and edited and added to the letter of Galatians. Uh, there's not a whole lot of merit to that. It's basically Paul saying, here's all the theology that I just threw down, right? Here's what, what I said. Here's my gospel, right? And now how do you live the gospel? What does it mean to truly accept Jesus Christ in faith? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean for you and for me and for the Galatian community, right? So this is Paul transitioning from theology to ethics or morality, applying everything he's been talking about for the past four chapters into some practical, here is what your life should look like. Here's what it shouldn't look like. This is no bueno, this is bueno, right? So, with that, we'll go ahead and dive into Galatians chapter five. So, if you have your Bible, bust it out. If you're in the car, don't look at a Bible, that's dangerous. Just listen along and I'll read. Uh, we'll be d- we're diving into verses one through 15 of chapter five. And, like I said, this is the transition point into living in the spirit. We're talking about ethics. We're talking about morality for St. Paul. So we'll read. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Pida, right hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right. So, transitioning into applying, transitioning to ethics, transitioning to... uh, Not as much theology, but more of uh, some practical uh, points for St. Paul, but still kind of a harsh tone. If you remember back in chapter one, we talked about how this letter does have a pretty harsh tone to it. Uh, So harsh, in fact, that St. Paul says in verse 12, that I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You can connect the dots on that one, what that means. Um, So we'll get to that in a second. Track back here to verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, like St. Paul was just said in his uh, allegory of Hagar and Sarah, to accept circumcision, to accept the ceremonial works of the law, the calendar law, circumcision, dietary restrictions, all those things, you are going back under Hagar, right? You're going back under slavery. But Christ did not set us free just in, just to go back into bondage, just to go back into the, the old covenant that was already established. No, he came to enact a new age. He has initiated a new age, an eschatological logical age, pointing to the end times. It is We no longer live under the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ did not set us free simply to re-enslave us with the old law. So, in this next for a few verses, you know, St. Paul's talking about, if you accept circumcision, like if if that's what you're saying, that means you're under the whole law, right? All of it, all those 300, 400 something little laws of the Old Testament. If you say you have to be circumcised, that means you got to do everything else too, which they know just inherently is not the case. It's not, I mean, Christ even, he went to Uh, Gentiles, right? He ate with those that are unclean. He therefore broke the law. He worked on the Sabbath. He broke the law, uh, and for those other ceremonial laws, right? So Christ himself quote unquote broke the law, but we obviously know that Christ is sinless. He's God. Um, but this does raise an important question though about circumcision in general. This is a pretty, uh, hotly debated, um, idea right now amongst uh, some catholic circles and so let's talk about it i'm gonna give you my opinion on it um but i will say before i even give you my opinion on it is that the church is pretty is is neutral it's not pretty neutral the church is neutral when it comes to circumcision well why is that okay so the church is not neutral if you say circumcision is necessary, literally the very first council that the church ever had in the book of Acts, the council of Jerusalem, the church literally declared, St. Peter declared that no circumcision is not necessary for salvation. Circumcision is not necessary to be disciple of, of Jesus Christ. Okay. But it doesn't follow then that circumcision is evil. It's just not necessary. Right. And that's what St. Paul is saying here. Circumcision is, is it not necessary to be one with Christ? Ceremonial law is not necessary to be one with Christ. Okay. So there is, uh, there's some well-meaning Catholics who say that circumcision is an evil and should not be done. Well, that's, that's problematic. It's problematic to say that uh, for a few reasons. Well, they, they, they'll say it's, it's mutilation, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church says mutilation is a uh, grave moral evil that is never to be condoned. So if that's true, if, if circumcision is a form of mutilation and therefore is an intrinsic evil that should never be done, then you have to then say that Mary and Joseph performed an intrinsically evil act on Jesus Christ, Right? And we, we simply know that, that that's not the case. Mary is, is without the stain of original sin, and she is sinless, right? So she, it was literally impossible for her to perform an intrinsically evil act on the Son of God, right? It's, it's not possible. Okay, uh, apart from that, St. Thomas Aquinas even talks about circumcision and how circumcision for the Old Testament was, was a foreshadowing of baptism, right, of baptism, how uh, for St. Thomas Aquinas, he looks at circumcision as almost uh, a quasi-sacrament for the Old Testament. And so, uh, and we don't have time to get on all sides. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said here, you can Google St. Thomas Aquinas circumcision, you'll find some good articles out there. Uh, But but all that being said, uh, the church is uh, neutral towards uh, circumcision. You can do it or you cannot do it. It ultimately does not affect your salvation. Right? It does not affect your salvation. So, in my opinion, I, I cool. Like, do it. Like, the church is neutral to it. If you want to circumcise your your baby, like your son, that's that's fine. Um, you just have to you just have to discern why you want to do it, right? If you want to do it because for some reason you think that this is nece- necessary for fulfilling the law and being a better Christian, well then no, don't do it. Cause that's simply not true. And that's, that's St. Paul and like literally refutes that. Right. So don't do it if that's the case. Um, but if you want to do it uh, for health reasons, also to uh, symbolize uh, what God symbolized saying, you know um, you know, even your sexuality belongs to God. Um, and you you recognize that it's not totally necessary. You're not doing it for salvation. You're just, you're just doing it for, for health reasons and, and for maybe some symbolic reason. That's fine, whatever, kosher, cool, bueno. Um, but just examine your conscience, right? Know why you're doing it um, and just know that it's not an intrinsic evil. It is not a form of mutilation. If it was a form of mutilation, Mary would not have done it to Jesus um, because then she would be a sinner and she is not a sinner. Um, so we didn't need to talk about that. So I bet you didn't think we we're talking about circumcision on the podcast today showed you wrong. Um anyway, uh, going back to the text here. Um so verse 5. For through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircum- uncircumcision count for anything. Okay. So St. Paul once again, it it doesn't it doesn't really matter if you if you're baptized in in, in Christ, you can be circumcised, you can be uncircumcised. It doesn't do anything for you spiritually, right? But only faith working through love. I love this, I love this verse. Faith working through love. In the Greek, it's Allah pistis di agapes and I just butchered that last word. But anyway, it's 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 a Greek saying, it's literally, it's work the, that faith works. In love. So we've talked about this in the podcast before, how faith is not merely an intellectual idea. It's not, it's just, it's not an intellectual consent that yes, Jesus is real and he loves me, but rather it's faith that works through love. It does something, it accomplishes something. And ultimately, so we see faith, hope, and love here, the three theological virtues, and hope then is the motivation behind the working through love. So you intellectually consent to the fact that Jesus is real and he's our Lord and he's resurrected from the dead and you hope for union with him in heaven ultimately one day and through that hope and through that faith working together, your intellect and your will, you work through love, right? You, you perform loving deeds in, in and with Christ Jesus. So uh, skipping ahead a little bit, uh, you know, St. Paul uh, talking about this idea that whoever's been teaching you with the circumcisers, right? Whoever's teaching you these things, um, don't listen to them. They're wrong. I mean, literally, he says, like I said in verse twelve, I wish they would. Uh, th- those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Literally talking about, you know, if if, you, if, you, if if they're telling you this, I wish that they would do it to themselves, and they couldn't obviously because it would happen to them, infants. Um, but Saint Paul, I mean, that's that's some pretty. Not nice words from St. Paul. Um, (laughs) um, That's some serious edification there. Um, And so, once again, St. Paul bringing it back to verse 13. For you were called to freedom. So, bookmarking this section with freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And echoing uh, Jesus Christ here, right? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Do unto others as, they would, as you would have them do to you. Right? Do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, moving on. Verses uh, 16 through 25, the end of the chapter here. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so we transition in this idea of walking in the Spirit, or walking by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. So, this is an active idea, right? It's not I walked with or I will walk. It's I am walking. I walk by the Spirit. It's a it's a current thing that you do. But I say walk by the Spirit. So in order to do this, it's not something you will do one day. It's not something you did back then. It's something you have to do in the present moment of every single day. So in, the next thing we have to, Touch on before we get to those works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit is this dichotomy, apparent dichotomy between the flesh and the spirit, right? So there are some non-Catholics and even some Catholics uh, who are influenced by some uh, the Puritan uh, influence. They view the body as evil, right? They view the uh, they they read this passage and they say, "Look, body's evil, flesh is evil. It's all evil, 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 evil." Our uh, the goal of this life is to escape the body and be united with Christ in heaven one day. It's a very platonic idea. Um, so Plato um, held the idea of uh, this world of form and that matter was evil and that the whole point of life was trying to escape back into the, this, this world of forms, if you will. Um, it's a very platonic idea of the body bad, spirit good. And for Christians, it's, it's pretty easy to refute this, actually. Why? Well, God has a body. Incarnation. Literally what we're preparing to celebrate. The second person of the Trinity took on human flesh. And Jesus is still rocking that human flesh. And it's now it's it's a it's resurrected flesh, so it's different in that way, but he still got a body. Mary still got a body. Elijah's still got a body. Enoch has a body still. Um so, yeah, I mean, body can't be evil if God has one. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it doesn't even make sense, this this argument. And, and so it, it, that was a bit tongue in cheek, but I, but it still holds true. I mean, the body in and of itself is not bad. God created us. Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. God created it and said it was very good, right? God created it, said it was very, very good. God didn't create us and trap our souls in a body and then, you know, say, all right, your goal to escape, go, right? No. Um, so what St. Paul's talking about here for the flesh, so when St. Paul says the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, it, it's this, it's this corrupted fallen inclination, concupiscence in, in for in Catholic tradition, right? It's this idea that your inclinations to evil are evidently and obviously contrary to the spirit it's not simply that the body is bad no far from it the body is very very good but it's our inclination through the fall towards sin that is the lust of the flesh right the lust of the flesh the pride of life lust of the eyes so the flesh this this corrupted inclination this false this evil inclination towards sin is contrary to the spirit. So verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. So we even say here, the desires of the flesh, right? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. It's epithemu. uh, It's the same word for lust. So the lusts of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So sexual immorality, that's anything, any sexual relationships outside of marriage, right? Anything, uh, masturbation, uh, anything, any sexual relationships outside of marriage. Um, even if you are married, any, any sexual relationship out, obviously uh, that's not with your spouse. Um, but even to even disordered sexual relationships with your spouse, it is possible to commit mortal sin with your spouse. Um, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Ouija boards—don't do them, y'all. Don't mess with that crap. It's evil. Um, but check this out, right? In the same list, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. So I think a lot of the times, and we sorry, we go on verse twenty-one: envy, drunkenness, orgies. So. A lot of times you think, you know, a lot of times we can get into this false security of, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, sleep around. I don't watch pornography. I don't really, I don't get drunk. I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty awesome Christian. You know, watch out, brush off your shoulder. I got some swag. I'm the super Christian apostle guy. But if you envy somebody else, that's a work of the flesh. If you have fits of anger, if you lose control of your temper, that's a, that's a work of the flesh. If you're jealous, work of the flesh. If you have strife with somebody, if you don't um, you know, resolve everything peacefully, like Christ demands of us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a work of the flesh still, y'all. It's a grave sin. Um, and then we move on to the fruits of the Spirit. So what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love and... And Sorry, uh, before we look at this, uh, works of the flesh is pl- pu- uh, plural. Fruit of the Spirit is actually singular. So, namely saying that all of these lists are just different aspects of the same fruit, right? So, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, and the, your, your translation might say faithfulness, uh, that is uh, not a l- accurate translation. Um, the word in Greek is pistis, which is literally faith. It's not faithfulness. It's not faithful. It's just faith. So a fruit of the Spirit is faith, not faithfulness. Um, so this is all different sides of the same coin, if you will. Ultimately, there is one fruit of the Spirit, Love. But if you have love, you also should have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and self-control. You know, this is an awesome opportunity, especially during this Advent season, to do an examination of conscience and to read this, these, this list of the fruit of the Spirit and to see, like, do I see these, these, this fruit in my life? And if I don't, why not? You know, going to confession, talking to a confessor about this. What fruit am I missing? Maybe it's peace. Maybe I'm just not at peace ever. Maybe I have a really hard time with patience. Maybe I don't have any self-control around food or with my body or with other people or things, whatever it is. Maybe I'm not very gentle. So St. Paul in verse 25 If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Going back to that, once again, another bookend with walking in the Spirit. It's a present thing that you do. Not a thing you will do, not a thing you have done, but a present thing that you you are doing. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So everything he's talking about, our union with Christ, our union with the crucified Lord, cruciformity to Jesus Christ, What does it look like? What's your life need to look like? Well, it can't look like the works of the flesh, right? Because if if that's it, you're not fully cruciformed to Christ. You're not fully conformed to Christ. So you look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's what your life should look like for St. Paul. That's what he's saying. So with that, I hope and pray that this helps you in your Advent journey. We are ending Galatians next week with Galatians 6. And then we'll be doing a bit of a, a Bible study on, on Christmas because it'll be Christmas and we got to do a Bible study up, uh, about Christmas stuff. Um, so it's crazy how that timing worked out perfectly, huh? It's like I planned it. So anyway, thank you again for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. We'll see you next time, y'all. God bless. All right, y'all. Thank you again so much for joining me on Catholics with Bibles. I hope you've been enjoying this Bible study on the book of Galatians, the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. Once again... Please leave us a review, share, give us some stars. It helps people find us easier when you type in Catholics with Bibles because right now when you type in Catholics with Bibles, there's a bunch of stuff that pops up on the Google. So uh, leave us a review, talk about it with your friends and family, helps us out a lot. Hoping you all have a blessed and amazing Advent so far. We'll see you next time.